Hello and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, examining the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Senek, and today we take on the topic of our most recent issue of Strategica, the emergence of Turkey. And joining us now is the author of one of the pieces in this issue, Williamson Murray, Professor Emeritus of History at The Ohio State University and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. Professor Murray, thank you for joining us. I'm delighted to do so. Well, let me start with the very first line of your piece for Strategica where you write, the emergence of Turkey as the most powerful regional player in the Middle East should not surprise Americans. Why is that? What about Turkey sets it apart in the region? Um, I think uh, uh, what sets uh, Turkey particularly apart is the fact that the Turks um, are a real nation. Uh, um, it also sets the Iranians apart, too. Uh, they are uh, a, a nation, uh, at least as how we define it, with a common language, a uh, common sense of nationhood, common traditions, um, um, and um, the rest of the Middle East, by and large, except, of course, for the Israelis, uh, uh, is a mixture of uh, tribes uh, who hate each other and uh, who've been, uh, uh, there's no sort of cohesion there in terms of the other nations in the Middle East. And, and the Turks, the Turks really have, have um, uh, a very long tradition, of course, of ruling the whole area, which goes back uh, to uh, the Middle Ages. And uh, let, let me stay on that point because, of course, one of the hallmarks of Strategica is the, the influence that history has on contemporary concerns in international affairs. And with that in mind, I don't think we probably can talk about Turkey without the historical context of the Ottoman Empire. So uh, tell me what kind of influence you think that long, significant legacy has on contemporary thinking in Turkey, especially on the foreign policy front? Yeah, I think it's it's rather indirect because uh, the Atatürk, Atatürk revolution really caused uh, a huge break in Turkish history, uh, um, in some ways almost as decisive, uh, maybe even more decisive than the um, uh, French Revolution caused in the history of France. Uh, um, uh, the... Uh, what Ataturk basically did was to um, take Turkey uh, and shake it loose from uh, the, f the fact that it was so closely uh, connected with uh, the Islamic religion, uh, so uh, closely connected with being a multi uh, um, multinational uh, with all sorts of people uh, uh, in it. Uh, um, um, conglomeration and uh, what uh, uh, what he did among other things, of course, of, of uh, which makes uh, it very difficult for Turks, in some ways, to get back to their own history, uh, uh, is the fact that he uh, simply threw away the um, uh, the uh, Arab uh, alphabet and introduced uh, Western. Uh, uh, um, uh, Western lettering, uh, and so uh, the Turks, uh, in a way, uh, um, uh, have a difficult time in assessing their own past, but they have a real sense of their own past, too, and, and uh, a sense of having uh, um, stood up to the world, uh, both as uh, um, the great power in the Middle East for centuries, but also uh, in the sense that uh, uh, Ataturk basically um, um, 
when Turkey's uh, independence was was threatened at the end of the First World War with the collapse of the Ottoman Empire and the uh, defeat of the Central Powers, uh, Ataturk basically uh, drove off, uh, if you will, the eager interlopers who wanted to uh, take large pieces of Turkey along with uh, the large pieces of the Middle East, which uh, were divided between Britain and France. Now, of course, one of the other legacies of Ataturk is the secularization of Turkey. And one of the big concerns about Turkey today, particularly under Prime Minister Erdogan, is the sense that the country now is is moving in a different direction, that there is a growing comfort, uh, at least on the part of the government, with Islamism, both at home where there's some initiatives to roll back that secularism and abroad where there's been some cordiality with the Muslim Brotherhood, such as with the Morsi regime in Egypt, that causes some anxiety in the West. In your judgment, is the, the fear associated with that justified? Um, no, I don't really see it as being justified. I, I think that uh, the break with the past was so um, enormous, uh, and the secularization, uh, and again, uh, um, uh, even the... Um, uh, even uh, those uh, surrounding the current regime really have no desire to go back to the kind of uh, uh, religious uh, um, uh, nonsense which I think marks so much of the rest of the Middle East. There is a very clear, um, if you will, separation between the secular and, and uh, the, uh, the uh, um, religious, which is not true of any other uh, um, Islamic society. It, let me bring up another sort of interesting assertion in your piece, and you write – I'm quoting you here. There appears a considerable possibility that the Turks and the Kurds will finally settle their decades-long smoldering war in eastern Turkey, now, which of course would not be a small feat. So first of all, why don't you give the listeners who aren't familiar with that situation some of the context on that conflict and then tell us what factors are, are spurring your optimism there? Um. Yeah, the um, the Kurds are a very different uh, um, uh, nationality than uh, racial makeup or whatever you want to call them than the Turks. Uh, they form a substantial um, portion of the, of the uh, population in in eastern Turkey, um, but they also, of course, then spread into. Uh, Kurdistan in uh, one of the three major provinces in Iraq. Um, there's a substantial number of Kurds in Iran and a substantial number of Kurds uh, uh, in Syria as well. Um, uh, the Kurds, of course, uh, have managed to make uh, quite a success uh, out of the uh, uh, collapse of Saddam Hussein's regime uh, um, in terms of building up a uh, the, the uh, if you will, the most uh, peaceful and, and forward-looking uh, section of Iraq. Um, they're, like the Turks, uh, hard-headed uh, mountain people, um, tough, um, a sense of their own uh, uh, nationhood, if you will, a, a common sense of, uh, of uh, that the Kurds are a separate people from the uh, uh, rest of the Middle East. Now, um, Thirty years or so ago, a major revolution broke out uh, in the in the um, um, uh, eastern parts of Turkey, uh, led by the Kurd uh, Kurdish leaders, uh, uh, very radical group. 
Um, and the Turkish army um, ended up having a very long um, and, in many respects, uh, uh, nasty uh, counterinsurgency fight on their hands. Um, they finally managed to capture the leader of, of that uh, of group, uh, um, and um, it's difficult to, because the Turks have not been completely forthcoming, um, but he was originally supposed to be hanged, and um, they, uh, it now appears that uh, he and the Turks have been negotiating uh, um, a, uh, some sort of uh, settlement. Uh, now, what I think is pushing that settlement is both the uh, sense that the Turks have uh, that uh, um, uh, it would be to their advantage uh, to uh, um, if you will, include the Kurds uh, in some form uh, um, within uh, uh, within the Turkish state uh, that is acceptable to them because it offers them then the chance particularly to interconnect uh, with the Kurds uh, in, in Iraq. And the Kurds in Iraq, of course, uh, are sitting on substantial oil deposits. Uh, and already uh, um, there's a, a quite impressive uh, movement of oil uh, across the border, uh, away from Iraq, which uh, makes the Arab uh, uh, regime in Baghdad uh, both nervous uh, and angry. Um, um, I think what, what, the, um, uh, what the Turks are looking at is the fact that uh, their society uh, is economically exploding um, in a way that uh, is not built on the oil, if you will, um, uh, empires of uh, of the, the Gulf states, uh, and um, uh, in addition to that, the Turks have also managed to um, uh, dam up substantial portions of the uh, tributaries uh, um, uh, that run into the uh, Tigris and uh, Euphrates uh, River, which uh, um, offers some considerable, um, uh, if you will, agricultural and other uh, possibilities for eastern Turkey. So. Um, again, all of that, if it comes to full fruition, uh, will uh, lead to an enormous uh, um, increase in, in the economic and political power and influence of the Turkish state. And, and very clearly, the Turks want um, a stable Middle East because, of course, uh, it's to their advantage. Right. And now what about the role of economic growth for Turkey? Because say what you will about the Erdogan regime, uh, it is significant that while he's been in power and his party have been in power, you've had this period of sort of unparalleled growth and, and prosperity in Turkey. How do you think that affects the country's standing on the international stage going forward? Well, I think it has a huge uh, influence. Um, what it makes, of course, is the uh, 20 years ago, the Turks were really eager to uh, join the uh, EU and to join, if you will, Europe. Uh, and uh, by and large, the Europeans uh, put all sorts of obstacles in their way and uh, uh, really prevented it from happening. And I think the Turks have really uh, pretty much given up that dream and, and now are looking back, if you will, to uh, uh, their past and the fact that they were uh, the great guarantor of peace in the Middle East. So the, the final question that I'll, I'll put to you, there's a theme that runs through your piece and it's one of sort of Turkish realpolitik, this idea that we shouldn't be surprised when the Turks act in their own self-interest 
which won't always necessarily overlap with ours. But beyond that, you argue that, look, we don't really have to be racked with anxiety about this because strategy is a long-term game and most of our concerns with Turkey are, are short-term in nature. So why are you optimistic that in the long term there's sufficient overlap between American and Turkish interests to stand this relationship in good stead? Well, I think I think uh, looking at uh, the Middle East, uh, uh, Turkey is the is one of the few areas uh, um, where you have a a a a. And I was going to say relatively stable. No, I, I'd say stable regime um, with the capacity to keep, if you will, um, uh, uh, give its people a sense of, of both belonging uh, and economic uh, possibilities in the future. Um, uh, and compared to the rest of the Middle East, where you have this huge overpopulation of young people and young males, and uh, with uh, no no discernible um, uh, future economic potential for most of them, uh, um, particularly when we're dealing with states that are outside of the uh, the oil kingdoms, uh, um, Egypt and uh, substantial portions of North Africa uh, um, uh, and uh, places like Syria. Um, uh, Turkey is, is one of those few places, along with uh, Israel, uh, um, uh, uh, and to a lesser extent, Iran, where um, the, the regime appears relatively stable. Um, uh, even Iran, which I mentioned a few moments ago, which has a uh, relatively uh, a, a real uh, the Persians have a sense of themselves. They they make up about half of the population, uh, um, but there you have a huge split between the uh, the young people and and the older people. All right. My thanks to our guest, Williamson Murray, Minerva Fellow at the Naval War College, Professor Emeritus of History at Ohio State University, and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. You can read his piece and those of other members of Hoover's Military History Working Group by visiting Strategica at hoover.org forward slash Strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. Thank you for listening.